you jackass. Welcome to the Jackass Critics Podcast. With your hosts, Tom and Matt. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Jackass Critics Podcast, presented by JackassCritics.com. I'm Tom. This is the Honey Badger. And I'm Matt. Thanks, stupid. Yes, that is Matt. Hi, how's it going there, uh, Lamar Brodom? Oh, that's topical with our NBA season finally starting. Yeah, and which I'm sure you're pretty excited about. I'm Mr. not much NBA. of a whiner, unlike Lamar Odom, though. You know, Mr. Pouty Pants. He's a pouty pants? I didn't know that. He is a pouty pants. You know, the trade, he got traded, then it got rejected, and then he went around like a little boy with, uh, got his toys taken away and said he didn't want to play for the Lakers anymore. Yeah, yeah. So if we traded you to, uh, say, filmcritic.com, and uh, then that trade got rebuffed, would you pout and not write a review for Jackass Critics for a week? Well, I mean, that's pretty much me and Jackass Critics now, so it oh, probably yeah. wouldn't be any different. So Oops. Think about it. Oops. Oh, too soon, Tom. Yeah, too soon, too soon. I still owe a tiptoes review, even. I mean, yeah, and that's already ninety percent written. Let's just air our dirty diapers now, man. Let's, <laughs> let's get that out there. I'll get it out before the next <laughs> summer spectacular, probably. Yes, yes, probably. So today, yes, Matt and I, it, during the main event, we'll be talking about the Michael Haneke film, The White Ribbon. We'll also be delving into his film, Cache, as it's a film we've both seen, and it's a film we both like to talk about. I think there's a lot of parallels between that and The White Ribbon, so we're going to be talking and spoiling the crap out of both films. Sure. Looking forward to it immensely. Yeah. You can check us out, as always, at jackasscritics.com. You can go ahead and do a search for us on Facebook. Give us a like on the Facebook page. And you can check for us on Twitter, Jackass Tom and Jackass Matt. You can read all of our Jackassy updates. Yeah, on the Twit world. And I know I was a little bit uh, behind with uh, the moving process, but uh, I've got a couple Blu rays loaded up from uh, Netflix, so I'll be updating those here in the near future. Uh, i got some good movies lined up. Ooh, what do you got lined up? I actually dropped a tweet today that uh, I got the Blu ray of The Tree of Life. Ooh. So we were talking about that, maybe podcast six or five or so, and uh, well, we're on podcast eight now, so I think we're well past that. Oh, we were talking. Yeah, about Yeah, we were just talking about the tree of life yeah. and how, yeah, Malik one is palmed or. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll be uh, experiencing that. I, I mean, I've read so much about it, it. I don't know what to think, but I'm curious uh, to try it. I'm purposely holding myself back from reading anything about it because I want to experience it on its own. Yeah. Without it's being sullied by any of David Denby's words. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Foreshadowing. I'll let that out. Foreshadowing. David Denby wouldn't make a promise and to keep your sanctity and then go back on his word. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. And Matt, by the way, I've heard a little rumor that you've been watching a little show called The League, a show that we talked about in our last episode. I have. Uh, the whole first season's available on uh, Netflix Watch Now, and you will burn through those real quick, because it's like a six-season first episode. I'm sure they weren't sure <laughs> if there was going to be a market for... Uh, oh, a six-episode six season? Yeah. I'm sure they weren't certain if there was going to be a real uh, strong market for a show about you know fantasy football and geeks, but... I mean that fantasy football plays a large role, but it is something you could watch with your, you know, significant other or friends that may be not interested in fantasy football because there's still plenty of good humor there. Yeah, I mean the way I look at it is it's 
if Seinfeld drafted a fantasy football league yeah. and was a little bit dirtier, right? <laughs> I mean, I think the the characters in that show are very Seinfeldian. They all have their their flaws that they get wrapped up in. Sure, you know they're looking out for themselves constantly, and yeah. that sort of is their undoing by the end. Um, and I really enjoyed the show. I watched the the complete second season. I haven't seen the first season yet, but I did watch the complete second season. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's there's definitely some flaws to it that kind of bothered me a little bit. I think some of the the show uh, they try to go a little bit over the top, trying to get to that final joke, right? Yeah. That, right. That whole thing where you set up the joke early on, and this is going to be the character's undoing by the end. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um, Sometimes it seems like they reach a little bit too far just to make that joke a little bit extra dirty or <laughs> you know it goes maybe outside of the bounds of what the character you would normally think would do but at the same time like you said I was breezing through them I really did yeah. enjoy them we're both in fantasy football fantasy basketball fantasy hockey fantasy baseball leagues so yeah we're going to have to the jackass critics is going to have to sponsor a, a fantasy football league next year and maybe get all of our many fans in and uh, we'll have a prize or something like that for whoever wins it. That's a great idea. We could yeah. send out some some DVD, some Blu-ray, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think we'll have to start planning that out for the next football season or maybe, I mean, basketball's already too late as well, but uh, and football's, baseball, fantasy football's football. the big one. Yeah. yeah, football's the one that people want to jump into. So if uh, any of you want to get into our fantasy football league next year, yeah. And compete for our own version of the Shiva. Exactly. We'll have some big prizes of some sort. We got lots of movies uh, that come into Jackass headquarters, so uh, we got some stuff to give away. Absolutely. Yeah. And if I win, everyone can send me something. That's a, wait, wait. Well, yes. you can just put it on my tab, Tom. <laughs> what a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Good show. Check it out. It's, it's definitely worth checking out. I mean, the the. the the main universal truths are there. You know, it's about relationships and mm-hmm. are you going to have free time if you got a, a special friend or, you know, is work going to get mm-hmm. in the way? I mean, it's just universal things that are yeah. uh, centered around whatever, you know. It and be I think the best part about that show is really the the actors, the comedians who play the characters, like yeah. especially the guy who plays Andre. I can't remember what his name is, but I think he does a really good job of creating that uh, George Costanza-type character in a different form. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's not a cookie cutter, but... Uh, Andre. For the for the goofy guy, you know, that uh, manages to succeed in spite of himself, he that would be Dre. Dre Day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then in second season, you're going to enjoy what, what happens to him uh, as well, I, th- I believe. Very good. Yeah. Okay, Matt, it's time for... Yeah. Bullets in the Chamber. Oh. Bullets in the Chamber. Award-winning segment. Of, of <laughs> I don't know podcast. what award we could win for this segment, but <laughs> and we I'd be willing to accept it. Uh, two segments as well on the podcast, but this is one of the award-winning segments, really. <laughs> what do you think about All it? right. So, yes, Matt, yeah, for the first bullet, I want to talk about controversy. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about something that was sweeping the Twitter nets. Okay. Maybe a week ago or so. Yeah. David Denby of the New Yorker. All right, that's a popular magazine with kids. That's a popular magazine. Yeah, he's a he's a big film reviewer. I think he was one of the Paulettes back in the day. One of Paulette Kale's disciples. Uh, yeah, exactly. All right, cool. Obviously at the New Yorker, right? All right. He saw an early screening of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo okay. by David Fincher. That's a popular movie. It's a popular be. movie. Yeah. And there was uh, what's called a review embargo set yeah. upon said film. Yeah. He saw this, I think, November 28th. And it's a, they said that you cannot write a review and publish it until December 13th, which is 
a week or so ahead of the release date of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Right, okay. He broke it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he signed it, and then he decided to break it. Yeah. And Scott Rudin, who is the producer, was all up in arms. Yeah. And the email exchanges between these two is all over the internet now. Apparently, I'm guessing Denby was probably the one who decided to... Yeah, leak it, yeah. cut and paste it, send it off over Twitter or who knows what. Right. And, uh, yeah, it leaked out. Obviously, Scott Rudin was, was upset. Um, but uh, So Denby's claim is, and I understand this, Yeah. you know, you only write so many magazines in December, but there are so many good movies that are worth talking about that come out in December. Yeah, December's traditionally, you know, clogged with uh, getting them ready for the award ceremonies, and uh, mm-hmm. th- during the holidays, traditionally, there's a big rush of people in the movies, so... Absolutely, and he didn't want to uh, waste his pages on We Bought a Zoo, which I can't blame him for, because I saw the preview for that movie, and it looks stinky. <laughs> it's a Cameron Crowe film, and I, I just want to say, just to jump off on one quick tangent... Interesting, yeah. Is Cameron Crowe becoming the M. Night Shyamalan of comedies and dramas? Wow. So you think I'm he's just constantly reverting back or, or degressing as an artist? Degressing, yes. Is that a I real mean, word? Yeah. I, why not? Why not? I mean, he had yeah. singles, right? Yeah. And then... Uh, yeah. And then I, I really enjoyed... Um, Almost Famous. Oh, I think yeah. there was something else maybe even in between that. Uh, a little Jerry Maguire, maybe? Uh, oh, Jerry uh, Maguire. There we go. How could I forget? Also uh, critically acclaimed, I thought, enjoyable film. Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. Very very fun. And uh, if you ever watch that film and you look at the kid, that is Jackass Matt when he was five. <laughs> I wish I had his money. Yeah. <laughs> you know the human head weighs eight pounds? Sorry, Tom. So, uh, yeah, and then uh, obviously Vanilla Sky and... Uh, Elizabeth Town, and now what yeah. looks like we bought a zoo, just sort of downward spiral. Maybe the Pearl Jam twenty I heard is really good. But I heard that as also well. Not a, it's so not a narrative, though. I'd look at that differently. Yeah. So do you do you think that the wheels started coming off the bus? I mean, I, I like. I, I like Vanilla Sky. Um, but if you watch the original movie that Vanilla Sky was based off right. of, I probably uh, wouldn't. Open your eyes. Well, you can watch it, and it's exactly the same. Yeah. Except maybe they don't have, you know, the Bob Dylan cover and, you know... The right, but almost shot-for-shot yeah. shot remake. And so you're not Almost a shot-for-shot shot remake. No it's, credit for that. It's like it never even happened, right? All right. So anyway, to get okay. back to David Denby. Yes. So, so he doesn't want to waste is, good d- pages. Yeah, d- go ahead. Is Denby writing a good or a bad review of Girl with a Dragon Tattoo? And doesn't and matter, Tom. Here's the thing. Yeah, it, maybe it doesn't matter, but he was writing a favorable review. All right. However, I think what Scott Rudin, this is what I think Lou Lemenic, Lemenic, whatever, uh, was telling me over Twitter is, you know, I was trying to get other people's opinions on this, and he was cool. saying, well, it opens the door for other people to write reviews in Rudin's eyes, and maybe some of those would not be so favorable. So no the movie, in theory, could be dead upon arrival into the theaters. Yeah. So if you were a producer of a film, would you rather have a uh, positive review that had more space and less competition for eyeballs, or would you rather have you know, a neutral or negative review, but it was slammed in and closer to your date, and but there was sharing so much more you know, bylines with a bunch of other movies? That's the question. Well, I'll say this, right? Yes, Thomas. I think it comes back to the uh, any press is good press. I mean, this whole thing... 
with their email exchange is kind of creating a little bit of an extra buzz about the movie. Yeah. Whether it's positive or negative. Good press, or any press is good press, right? Yeah, well, this whole Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I think you know, this whole thing is going to be very positive for Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I think the fact that they've blown it out of the water and they've probably saved other people from writing any sort of early reviews is yeah. maybe going to work in their favor because they want as many reviews as possible and as many publications talking about it right before it comes out so it's in people's minds right before they go to the movie theater that Friday. Right? Yeah. I'm of but the mind uh, that this is a sign of things to come. I personally think what I would consider traditional media, um, the New Yorker certainly would uh, fall into that very strongly. I mean, it just doesn't exist anymore or won't exist anymore in the near future. I mean, how they make money is going away. How they mm-hmm. publish is going away. Um, and you can't possibly control everybody that is going to see the movie, even if it's, you know, the guy that's in the projection room watching it, as we've seen from, you know, idiots recording movies at the theater on their cell phones and then posting them on the Internet. Right, um, right. Their, the ability of Hollywood to control, and and it sounds to me like uh, Mr. Rudin is certainly of the mold of a traditional Hollywood guy that wants total control of everything. This is his product. This is mm-hmm. what he's created. This is his property. He wants to own it, you know, the entire way through the process. Uh, I think that's an old, outdated view that you can try to hang on to it as much as you want, you know, just like my mom is hanging on to her Elvis records, but I, I don't <laughs> think it's going to make it any better, and I don't think it's going to make it, you know, the case that you, just because you want to control it, you, you can't control it anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I, I mean, if that's the case, then don't release it early to these critics. Yeah. You're just tempting them, you know? You're putting the stake in front of the dog and telling them, sit, yeah, sit, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, so. and, I mean, as much as Scott Rudin has to make money, you know, the guys in the media have to make their money as well. So and if that the case is that they're going to make a lot more money by leaking the review early, which I'm sure is probably the case, they're obligated more or less to do that because... I mean, their traditional sources of revenue are drying up, and mm-hmm. if something's going to give them a big spike, a big hit, I mean, that's going to be tough to say no uh, from your tr- traditional reviewer standpoint. Right, and I know Demby himself is one of those people that speaks out against bloggers and film writers who are online and, you know, is always speaking to, well, you could never replace someone like David Denby. You know, oh, boy. He's, he's, yeah, exactly. He's one of these blowhards that doesn't see any quality in, in online writing, so... Well, maybe he, maybe his first stop was Jackass Critics, and that was his last stop, and <laughs> he probably got a sort of defensible point of view there if that's where he started he, and stopped. He read Dude, Where's My Car review on Jackass <laughs> Critics, and, and that's... This guy's mentioning AIDS? What a tasteless son of a bitch. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> There's <All> right. <laughs> Man. Started out with a bang, too. That was like review number two on the site. Yeah, Good work. exactly. Good work, Thomas Blaine. Thank you. All, All right. right. Matt, what do you got for us? Well, following up on that a little bit, and we'll see how I tie this in, I recently saw the um, Kevin Smith, la- Kevin Smith's latest film, Red State, um, which... If it, you get an idea in your mind of a traditional, heavily Republican state um, in terms of the political landscape, it kind of gives you an idea of the tone, but not necessarily you know the plot and the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, certainly a, a strong um, swerve left for Mr. Smith. Um, it's kind of like a teenage horror-type movie um, that has a traditional story and a moving camera and lots of things that really aren't traditional Kevin Smith 
uh, touches. So it's definitely a, a huge uh, departure for him. Yeah, um, moving the camera isn't his strong suit. No, not so. at all. I mean, we've got scenes in cars where you know we've got shots establishing where the car is and all that sort of fun stuff. I mean, things that never really happened before in a Kevin Smith movie. So I think from the writing all the way through, he um, definitely was going to do things differently. What's interesting about the movie, and it was an interesting movie, and, and I still haven't decided if I really even liked it or not, but I have thought about it quite a bit since watching it, so I think that's a sign of a, at least an interesting, decent movie. Hmm. Okay. Um, but what I found interesting more than anything else, uh, in Smith's previous movie, which was uh, that cop-out movie with uh, yeah. Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan, um, <laughs> it just got horrible reviews, and I watched it, and it deserved every horrible review it got. It was just absolutely atrocious. And uh, I can't believe they thought this was funny type of sense. I saw um, ten copies at my library today, by the way, of Cop Out. Just this Cop Out movie's going to be a hot one. we got to order lots of them. Yeah. Um, but Kevin Smith had such a meltdown from the traditional media reviews, uh, he swore he would never do a press junket again for any of his movies. Um, and he was fuming about it, you know, on his blog, and he has a podcast as well, which probably gets less hits than ours does, but uh, you, should oh, probably go check it out. you should probably go check it out, kids, if you've never heard of it. Um, Smodcast, right, or yeah. Smodcast? So, um, you know, he had a real meltdown and a problem with that, and uh, what I think is interesting is, you know, his promotion for the Red State movie was... Uh, entirely in a non-traditional type sense, where he was doing everything mm-hmm. online, doing it himself, you know, not giving any pressers or not doing any junkets or anything along those lines. Um, so I just found that pretty interesting, uh, you know, and it did fairly well, and I'm sure he made some money and all that sort of good stuff. Um, but just goes to show, man. I think the traditional media, as we we know about it, you know, how a movie gets made is changing, and most importantly, how a movie gets released, and where it gets released. Uh, I mean, all that stuff is changing, and it's pretty neat to be part of it, I guess. So how did you watch this uh, Red State? Was it on DVD, Blu-ray, or did you watch it in a theater? I watched that at home. Okay. Um, And this was a movie that I believe was released simultaneously in the theaters and on some streaming services. We were Um, mentioning this, I think, on a previous podcast, even, how he was taking it on his own as a road show, essentially. Remember yeah. these old road show movies? He was taking them from theater to theater, Maybe, uh, wherever yeah. he could screen it, yeah. across the land. And he was doing all of his own promotion. He was essentially removing the studio completely yeah, from, from his movie. Yeah. And hats off to him for doing it. I think it's amazing. I think it's it's always great when you see uh, directors like him yeah. being able to do something outside of the box, call their own shots. Yeah, and, and I remember we possibly talked... Yeah, go yeah. Uh, previously I was gonna say, Go ahead, Tom. I was going to say possibly creating uh, something different because of that or opening up the door for someone else. I mean, there's Kevin Smith who's done what, maybe like a dozen movies or something like yeah. that and he's had uh, varying levels of success, but he's had success. Yeah. And this type of production could open the door for uh, smaller people to, to do this too, you know, yeah. first-time directors. Well, you can't say Kevin Smith didn't make personal movies before, because I'm sure, the, you know, the movies were small oh, and personal before, uh, but at this point, I'm sure he was fairly typecast in terms of what at least expectations were from producers and money men for uh, what a Kevin Smith script was. I mean, he mm-hmm. didn't have, you know, long monologues and dialogues between, you know, hipster characters or whatever that was not going to be well received but uh, mm-hmm. yeah and that now if you've got you know some other personal point of view that you're maybe want to get out there 
uh, and you're not at you know a Stanley Kubrick level where you know you just have carte blonde from Warner Brothers to do whatever you want. Uh, you can still probably scrape together enough money to you know film that and get it out there and distribute it yourself. Like you said, do the road show and. Uh, I'm sure it's a lot of work to do it that way and not really conform into the you know system that's set up. But um, if you want to get your voice to be heard, then you know I think its options are out there. Right. Yeah. Right. So overall, what was your impression of uh, Red State? <sighs> you know, it was violent. Uh, it was interesting. Um, I would recommend people checking it out and, and making their own decision because I really haven't made a decision for myself. I've thought about it a lot since I watched it. Uh, you know that really says something about a movie, though. If you can, if you watch it and you just you have to ruminate on it for a while to I mean, not just understand if you enjoyed it, but yeah. just you have to think about it for a while in order to uh, to get that assessment. Because there's some movies that you know you just remove right away from your your yeah, conscience. Exactly, right? Exactly. Yeah. I watched Tower Heist and forgot about it the next day. <laughs> yes. For example, right? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So plus one for that. Uh, I don't know if I liked it or I hated it, but I certainly am going to remember it. So. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. All right. That's all I got. I thought it tied in kind of interesting to someone that's not following the traditional path. You know, uh, mm-hmm. obviously uh, something like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. That's yes, it's a movie, but that's also an event. I mean, it's a highly coordinated event. It's a circus of movies in terms of there's you know soundtracks, and I'm sure there's a clothing <laughs> line, and obviously there's a, a billion dollar <laughs> book line, and I mean that's that's an event, and who knows how many lawyers were involved in. Uh, the girl with dragon tattoo and negotiating whatever. Right. Um, so that's obviously going to be establishment. But uh, Red State is almost anti-establishment in its production and, and simplicity in terms of just getting it made, writing the movie, getting it made, you know, doing the casting yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's where things are going, even the traditional mainstream movies. But we'll we'll see. Yeah. Okay, for my next bullet, yeah. I want to talk about a little show called Portlandia. Okay. Have you heard of this show yet, Matt? I have heard of this show. I did a little research, uh, watched a few YouTube clips that kind of made me chuckle. <laughs> yeah, so it's... Um, uh, I've been hearing about this for a while. It's on IFC Channel, which is a channel I don't get. If you want to know anything about me, uh, my cable comes to me free. <laughs> I essentially pay for... My association fee, and it covers the 68 channels, and that's all I require. That gets me by. But when things like Portlandia come out, I really am starving for the extra channel or two, like the IFC channel. Uh, It's a sketch comedy show. There's six episodes in season one. And the two main characters in it, I mean, it's it's interesting to have sketch comedy with two actors, right? I mean, they they pull in a few other people for sideshow stuff, but uh, for the most part, part it's... They're driving it, yeah. Yeah, two people, Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein. Obviously, Fred Armisen, you probably know from Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. does a number of great characters on Saturday Night Live. I think he's one of the best at branching out into different people. Uh, Carrie Brownstein, I didn't even know who she was. Um, I looked her up. She was a uh, vocalist and guitar player for Sleater Kinney. Does that not sound right? Not ringing a bell. Not bringing a bell. I think that was like a, a band from the 90s. Okay. Uh, anyway. Well, with the, the topic, I guess, if she was a 90s indie rock star, that would be uh, fitting. Yeah, and the whole joke of the show, I think, uh, a lot of it does go back to the 90s. The first episode, it opens with him talking to her uh, in character and kind of remarking that he went to Portland, <laughs> and it's like the 90s. You know, they never passed through the 2000s, right? Right, yeah, they never evolved past that. 
Yeah, he's like, it's like as if Gore got elected and this whole Bush thing never happened. That's what Portland is, yeah. right? So, um, it, it's kind of funny that the whole show, uh, they, they go back and forth between specific characters. It is true sketch comedy, but sometimes they, they come back to uh, specific characters' interactions uh, within the show or within the next show. Everything takes place in different areas of Portland. They kind of address where it's going to happen ahead of time. And, um, and one of the things I really like about it is, uh, and I really enjoyed it, I've watched maybe three of the six episodes last night, and I haven't gotten through it, but I'm probably going to finish the rest of it tonight. But just one of the things I enjoy about it is sketch comedy with editing. Yeah, right. It's a simple thing, but you remember the TV show The State on MTV? I'm familiar. Yeah, they did a lot of non-live stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think you can create a lot of comedy in how you edit. Sure. Right, and with Saturday Night Live, you don't get that because you can only really edit within that 180 degrees. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot less control there. But with this show, you can have a lot of editing. You can cut back and forth between things, um, and sort of create funny moments with that. And that's one of the things I always liked about the state back in the day too, sure, as yeah. opposed to Saturday Night Live. So you watching this on uh, like DVD or Blu-ray now at this Blu-ray, point? Blu-ray, Blu-ray. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah. And I got a screener copy on Blu-ray, and I'm really enjoying it. And is it filmed such that it, it's obviously supposed to be modern day, even though obviously we're still working on the whole '90s motif? Or is it? Do they have like a, <laughs> a VHS filter or something like that, so that even the it looks '90s when you're watching it? No, no, no. I mean, it, it's filmed to make it look like it is happening in present day, but it's happening in Portland. So you could possibly transpose that a lot of 90s fashions, thoughts, and ideas have carried over. Sure. All right. And a lot of the other themes that they explore, too, which I really enjoy, are just the idea of uh, maybe some of the modern-day yuppie ideas mm -hmm. and how they sort of exploit those in the show. For example, there's, there's one sketch that I really liked where a couple sitting in uh, a nice restaurant and they're asking about the chicken. They're asking where did the chicken come from. And what do you mean by organic? Is that Oregon organic? Is that USDA organic? What does that mean? Who is the person raising it? And the lady pulls out, like, you know, essentially an application for the chicken with a picture of it attached. And these two end up going to the farm to actually talk to the farmer before they even order the chicken, right? So it just sort of makes fun of a lot of the things that, you know, modern-day yuppie would do, maybe someone in Portland, for example, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> very true, yeah. She, uh... Our, our boy Fred here. Do you know? I assume he's a writer on the show as well. Um, since I believe so, I'm yeah. I'm sure he has a writing background from the SNL and everything. And that dude looks like he's got some arrested development, like the '90s. He never stopped <laughs> cutting his hair or something. I don't know. He's just a weird-looking fellow. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, uh, maybe it's his background. Maybe uh, I, th I think he's a blend of multiple cultures uh, oh, okay. within one Fred Armisen, so that <laughs> may account for part of it. But yeah, I mean, just walking around with the uh, the zip-up sweatshirts and oh, yeah. you know, the. I mean, I've still got my flannel in my closet, waiting for the '90s to happen again. I've <laughs> held on to hope for 15 plus years at this point. I might as well keep them going. Yeah, no, I think uh, both main characters are really strong, and they have a lot of really good. Uh, they have a lot of really good cameo appearances too, or, or people making guest appearances. I should say, Kyle MacLachlan, Heather Graham, nice. Jason Sudeikis. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, come on, what? he's doing all sorts of stuff. No oh, shit. All right. Sex in the City. Come on. Where were you, Matt? He was, he was in Sex in the City. Don't ask how I know that. All right, I won't. Uh, are these like half-hour shows, uh, episodes? Yes. Okay. Or Twenty-two, twenty-four minutes. 
Yeah. Right in all the commercials a half hour. Well, yeah. I mean, good for IFC. I didn't even know IFC was making original content, I guess. Uh, AMC success, probably, with the Breaking Bad and, and maybe some FX stuff that inspired them mm-hmm. to get some budget going and try to create some original content. And you know, Obviously, this one's working to a large degree. It looks like they're doing a second season. And it sounds like they're doing a second season, yeah, which I'm uh, really pleased about. I mean, almost enough to make me make that push to get extra channels, but... Wow. You know, Easy. I'll probably just wait for it to come. Yeah, I'll probably just wait for it to come on Blu-ray, like you know, like I normally do. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think in the next few years, who knows? There may be an IFC app for your television that you can subscribe <laughs> for two dollars a month and just get it there. I mean, we're heading in that that way slowly but surely. Yeah. You know, the guy at work was telling me about the uh, American Horror Story, which is on. FX or Spike or something like that. Sure, yeah. Um, so I just went on my boxy media device and typed it in, and it turns out on the FX website, they have the last five or so episodes that you can stream in high def and mm-hmm. make full screen and stuff like that. I mean, so, I mean, everything's going online eventually. And if they don't post it, up, post it online, somebody's going to do it for them, and then they don't make <laughs> any money. So yeah. you might as well embrace it. Yeah, but Portlandia for fans of sketch comedy, very strong. Very cool. Very strong. Any any extras on the uh, Blu-ray? Since we got all that awesome space of the Blu-ray. There are extras, uh, I believe. There's uh, extended scenes, blooper reels, deleted scenes, um, all sorts of other stuff on here too. But yeah. I haven't gotten that far yet. I'm going to get through every episode first, and then I'm going to delve into those. Yeah. You know, the only show I've ever um, really gotten into the extras was uh, I think on The Wire. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for selected episodes, they would do like a commentary with either some of the cast or a director, and that was really mm-hmm. cool. Um, for uh, you know, I that was the first and really thus far the only time I've ever done in-depth extras on a television show. Um, but it's kind of neat to get that extra level of interest in a television show if, if you really like the show. You know, a lot of it's obviously Absolutely. just a waste of space for a casual <laughs> fan, but uh, pretty neat. Yeah. All right. Put that on the list of things to borrow next time I'm in the Windy City. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll trade you for another 12-pack of beer that you still owe me. I do. Well, I hear you're, you're just mocking me by drinking it while we're preparing, so I, you know, mm-hmm. any pity I had was completely wasted when I heard your lips smacking together and how good your beer was. Just rubbing it in. Yeah. Just rubbing it in. All right, Matt. So I think for our next bullet, I'm going to ask you to go into media mode. Ah, uh, yes. Official media mode. Like a sub-segment of the segment? Yeah. We'll switch up the music, and it oh. will be all nice and creamy. Nice. All right. Well, you know, a recurring theme, and one of the things I've certainly hit on all the time is, you know, new media, how things are changing. Obviously, movies are still going to get made. Television is still going to get made. But, uh, you know, the delivery method is... You know, in flux more than you know. I think we've seen since talkies arrived. Basically, um, it's very, very drastic changes going on in the industry right now. So, um, you know, we talked Netflix, we talked Voodoo, we've talked Boxy, these devices. Uh, what's interesting now, or what was happening today? You know, we're recording here early December, 2011, and um, I had a couple things I was going to talk about, but while researching them, it turns out uh, Netflix was in the news today. Uh, it sounds like Verizon, supposedly, Verizon Wireless, is sharpening their claws to consider taking over Netflix. Wow. Yeah. Are they going to call it something else as soon as they take it over and then 
undo what they just did? No one would be that ass night, Tom, except nah, right. for Reed Hastings, the current Netflix CEO. Maybe not yeah, for a while. So it sounds like um, the stock, you know, is it's down to about four billion dollars for their overall value from a high of sixteen billion at one point. Um, Verizon obviously is selling a lot of phones as well as you know tablet devices now. Um, so they are thinking that they want to build themselves you know their own video streaming service uh, to push out onto their many millions of uh, you know handheld devices that they've got in people's pockets. Yeah, and that's not a bad idea if you start adding you know those twenty dollar ten dollar surcharge per month times you know that many millions of your customers. Uh, right, the numbers get very large very fast. So apparently uh, Verizon is uh, considering, you know, doing a hostile takeover bid uh, with Netflix, and uh, they're, you know, that started the chatter about well maybe somebody else is gonna, you know, get into play and try to make a bid on uh, our friends at Netflix. So how would you feel about that, Tom? If uh, you know it just started coming in on your cell phone bill, and you know all of a sudden you had Netflix, <laughs> whether you liked it or not. Wow, that's pretty interesting. I mean, they they could essentially get money on both ends of this, right? I yeah. Mean, <laughs> they get money because they charge you for a data package, and um, and, and who service. knows what they're going to do with with LTE too, right? I mean, I I haven't gotten an LTE package yet. Yeah. But um, you know, the charges for data for that, and obviously you're getting it a lot faster. That leads to obviously more ability to stream. Uh, movies to devices because movies are going to be a large chunk of data that you're moving. Yeah, yeah. And then on top of that, they're charging for the movie that you're going to be purchasing, right? Uh, or or yeah, some the possibility sort of or the service, yeah, or a monthly fee yeah. or what have you. So kind of double dipping on you there, possibly. You know, making it's sure it's a smart move. I mean, it makes it sound like they've been listening to our podcast where we were talking about, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, media, what, what yeah. the yeah, what the data looks like that's transferring over the internet and how much of it is related to what and what a large chunk films are these days as opposed to even a year ago. Yeah. Yep. And not just films, but Netflix. Yeah, specifically. Specifically Netflix, yeah, exactly. Well, I, so. I find it interesting, and uh, the question I have is, you know, the value in Netflix, obviously Verizon's buying them for the streaming portion of the service, which... Oh, completely. Yeah, no, Netflix and their <laughs> wisdom was going to make just Netflix and not Quickstar or whatever. <laughs> um, but really, that value is purely in the the contracts that they've negotiated with Stars and Sony and uh, all the independent uh, film companies or whatever to be able to stream their movies, and none of those are written in stone. None of those are for, for in perpetuity. Um, you know, they're all just a couple year contracts that are always up for renewal. So you are kind of buying, you know, a house of cards, and they may be real thick cards that are real strong if <laughs> you know. Netflix has got long-term contracts, you know, that are locked-in rates. But if, um, you know, some of these contracts, which I'm sure with some of the media sharks are, you know, at least written such that, you know, these media sharks have outs if Netflix gets sold or, you know, Netflix is worth $100 billion, you know, overnight. Um, you know, the Sonys of the world aren't going to be happy with you, you know, more or less making money on their backs with them getting a tiny, tiny cut of it. So mm-hmm. you are playing with a fine a fine sword here. Same thing with the Hulu, uh, you know, uh, buyout talks that I've also heard about. You know, if Hulu loses those, you know, relatively favorable contracts, same thing with Netflix, really, what, what do you have? Or when those contracts expire a year from now or two years from now, and, you know, the media sources say, well, you know, you're worth $100 billion now, we're going to charge you ten times more. You're yeah, all of a sudden you get that leverage for mo money, mo money. Yeah, you're really in trouble. So uh, the cat got out of the bag, kind of, when 
the services were still young and untested, and uh, I assume they just had multipliers built in where, you know, if it caught on fire, they would up the rate, you know, linearly as opposed to exponentially. So uh, that, that, go- that goose isn't going to stay good forever. Yeah. You know, it's, always, it's interesting because I always figured that... Um, a cable media provider would get to Netflix first. Your right. Cox or your Comcast or, or whoever would eventually buy um, someone like Netflix, right? It seemed like a logical transition. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, the the two cable providers and then uh, cell phone data providers are just getting so close together these days, right? Yeah, it is all merging, isn't it? Yeah. It's all just converging towards one really large company and who's it going to be in <laughs> 10 years? It's going to be scary. Hopefully not AT&T. Oh clowns. Yeah, it's probably going to be Verizon Com or something like that, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, good place to hold your stock. Well, that's that's a good first media segment of uh, of uh, the Bulletin Chamber. Bam! Official. Yeah. Market. The first, the first official one, yeah. but of course we've done many. Oh, I'm like past. a broken record nah, bringing this stuff up. Yeah. Okay, Matt. Um, for our last and final bullet, we're yes. going to change the music up again. Nice. I'm going to submit you to a game of red light, green light. Everyone loves games, Tom. Is That's this right. the game where I end up looking silly and make lots of mistakes? Um, hopefully. All right. Hopefully. Okay. Uh, you have played this game before, Matt. I have played red light, green light, but however the you know the content therein is just unknown to me, by the way. Unknown to you. Okay, yeah, so, so I will I will describe. Uh, you want me to describe it to you again? Please. I'll describe the rules. Oh, yeah. It's going to be very simple. I'm going to pick a category. I'm going to give you two movie synopsis in that category yeah. and you have to pick the one that has been given the green light by movie studios or is looking to get made the other one is going to be completely made up yes so yes I remember you this fondly and I'm going to say this is backed by popular demand though I'm not sure anyone demanded it but it, it is it you may have it. yeah that's true you right? may have demanded it All right. popular enough okay. here we go I'm ready category one is the Hitchcock category okay Okay. The Girl. That's the name. Alright. In a BBC HBO co-production, Toby Jones. Are you familiar with Toby Jones at all? That's not ringing a bell, no. No? He previously played Truman Capote in a film. Is teaming up with Sienna Miller. And Toby Jones will be playing Alfred Hitchcock. Sienna Miller will be portraying Tippi Hedren in a film called The Girl. Uh, The film goes into Alfred Hitchcock's discovery of Hedren, the model. uh, And using her for his films The Birds and later Marnie and it explores his failed attempt to win her love and then how it affected both of their careers negatively afterwards. Interesting. Alright, well that sounds like an interesting movie at the very least. Um, at the very least. Yeah. Intrigued by that. If okay. it exists. Ooh. Ooh. And if it doesn't, maybe it should. Huh? Yeah. Okay. I'm, so I'm you ready, ready for movie number two yes, in the sir. Hitchcock category? Okay. Madam Grace. January Jones plays Grace Kelly in this film based on the movies Kelly made with Alfred Hitchcock, played by Jack Nicholson. The film details Hitchcock's growing and tortured obsession with Kelly. He is careful to keep his proper distance, but is enticed as she teases him by bedding down with nearly every actor around him. Huh. Well. So there you go. You have the girl and Madame Grace. Do Do you want my answer or do you want my thought process is the question, Tom? You give whatever you think is airworthy. I'm going to go with the girl, and what what 
triggered my Madam Grace uh, alarms was Jack Nicholson. And I don't know if Jack Nicholson <laughs> doing movies anymore or what, but God, he's got to be old. I can't imagine him pulling off a of Hitchcock. So I'm gonna go with the younger uh, Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Mm-hmm. Tony Jones. Toby Jones. Toby. Toby. You Toby had it right. Toby Jones uh, and the girl with Tippy Hedren, and I want to watch that movie. Okay, you you are correct, sir. Right. Amazing, it is the girl. But I just sent you over GChat a picture of Jack Nicholson, where I think he could definitely pull off an Alfred Hitchcock. All right, hang on one second. I'm going to click the button, and there will be a live reaction. Wow! <laughs> How did you find such a great picture? I think I searched for fat actor and um, eventually stumbled upon that after a few clicks. Uh, Yeah, so just to describe what I'm seeing here, Jack is on probably a 75-foot yacht um, wearing just a swimsuit, which not a bad swimsuit. What's he holding? He's holding like a three-foot-long sub, it looks like. And he's got uh, probably a size 56 belly. I don't know. It's huge. It's it's a large sam- large belly, a large sandwich, and a large belly. Yeah, it looks like he may be holding another three-foot sub in that belly. <laughs> I, I will grant you he's got the uh, posture down quite nicely in this photo. That said, I mean, there's a lot of, of in in Hitch's face that is that makes Hitchcock Hitchcock. And just yes. in the, the only nature of it or something. I don't know. And... Nicholson has a very distinctive face in and of himself, but mm-hmm. uh, yes, plus one for Matt, the girl. Plus one for Matt, uh, the girl. Madam Grace uh, sounded like an interesting movie as well, though. Don't get me wrong. And January Jones playing Grace Kelly would be a slam dunk. That w- that was not raising any alarms. Yes, so okay. Both of those would be interesting movies. That, but the girl, when, when's that coming out? Do you know? I don't know. I think it just got greenlit recently, uh, so they're probably just going to start filming it pretty pretty soon oh, here. I wonder uh, how like his daughter feels about that movie coming out. She's still around and keeping that state so. up, isn't she? I believe so. Yeah. I believe so. She's done a lot of documentaries for a while. Right. And Life of Fuchsia. Oh, I don't think she's probably going to be a fan of that movie, but all right. Well, we'll see. We'll yeah, see. If it's right. a true portrayal, she might be okay with it. One for one. Okay, you ready for category two? Yes, sir. Category two is called the Hitchcock category. What? Again? Ready? Oh, did I say that? Yeah, we. No, did it is. It it is indeed the Hitchcock category. Okay. Okay. That's right. I squeezed two of them in. All right. Nothing wrong with that. Surprise! Surprise! All right. Pulling rabbits out here. That's why you threw the fat Nicholson at me. Now I'm all confused and not sure what to believe. That's very right. deceptive of you, Tom. Good work. Very deceptive. All right. Here we go. This one is called Alfred Hitchcock and the Making of Psycho. Okay. Anthony Hopkins is slated to play Hitch, and Helen Mirren is slated to play his wife, Alma Reville. This movie will dip into the hoops that Hitchcock had to jump through in order to make his hit Psycho. Uh, Things like the studio not being excited about the story, wanting him to do something completely different, uh, the limited budget he was given, and using his TV crew essentially to do the shoot. And the film will be directed by uh, Anvil, the story of Anvil director Sasha Gervaisi. Okay. okay. If that so one is made up, that's a nice touch coming up with Sasha Gervaisi. Uh, and what was the name of that flick? Alfred Hitchcock and the Making of Psycho. Okay, that's a descriptive title. All right. Yeah. Northwest Train is number two. Yes, sir. Director Brian De Palma has been ripping off Alfred <laughs> Hitchcock for 40 years now. Yeah. And now he is slapping him into one of his films. Wow. In this fictional tale, director Alfred Hitchcock, played by James Gandolfini, is on a train and chatted up by a strange man slash fan 
played by Bill Murray. The two discuss... <laughs> yeah, there you go. The wasn't two discuss... <laughs> wasn't what Bill else? Murray in the last red light, green light? Uh, I seem to think you threw a Bill Murray at me there, too. Continue. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Uh, they discuss what else? The perfect murder. And when a body does turn up on the train, Hitchcock begins to watch his back and suspect his new friend of foul play. And what's this one called again? Northwest Train. Huh. Well, I like the sounds of Northwest Train more, so I'm going to say that that is the legitimate movie. And I'm hoping for Bill Murray. Yeah, I'm afraid you're wrong. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah, the last movie I was talking about, I think, actually did have Bill Murray. It was a real movie. It was okay. the one about um, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yes, good call. Huh. The real movie is Hitchcock and the Making of Psycho. That movie just sounds kind of boring in comparison. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Brian De Palma pulling Hitchcock into one of his movies and making a Hitchcock movie is an idea that has been... It's been brewing in the sauce yeah. for just far too Correct. long. You need to take that out and put it on a plate. And obviously, if you've seen uh, The Black Dahlia, you realize that Brian De Palma obviously is insane, and he's willing to do anything at this point. So, I mean, on its idea, it's, it's kind of crazy and, and ridiculous, but it is the next logical step, like you said. <laughs> why, yeah. why keep teasing it? Why, why keep doing the foreplay, Brian? Just go ahead and start <laughs> the actual intercourse at this point, buddy. Absolutely, absolutely. I like the sound okay. of that one. And James Gandolfini, by the way, unlike yeah. uh, Jack Nicholson, completely see James Gandolfini being uh, uh, Hitchcock. Yeah. yeah, he was my, my first choice as the fake Hitchcock, and, and Jack came up, and with that photo, I just... Great work on that one, Tom. And Thank you. the damn director, that, that threw me off, too, and the Albert Hitchcock and the Making a Psycho. Damn. Yeah. That was a good, good touch. No problem, no problem. All All right. one. That was Red Light, Green Light, and it also concludes Bullets in the Chamber. Oh, man, I was batting 500. That's yeah, yeah, that's pretty good, though. Yeah, that's better than Ted Williams. I'll take it. My oh. other option would be zero, so I'll take the 500. Okay, <laughs> oh. and right. at this point, we're going to uh, cut, and you can meet us on the second part of the podcast where we talk about White Ribbon. Nice. All right, we'll see you on the flip side. <laughs>